We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. We're gathering ourselves from the recent news of the weekend, taking a look at how our main event draft went and taking a final look at ADP on this week's episode of Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi, everyone. Welcome on into Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. And support comes from Manscaped, who is the number one men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And that is one of the sponsors for this episode. So, Matt, on that note, Come on, how- Dave, why, why are you laughing at one of our sponsors? <laughs> I mean, I, I uh, you know, the. Your family jewels line just got me. I don't know what to say. Yeah, it's almost as if you hadn't uh, seen beforehand that that's what you were supposed to read. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's almost as if that was an extremely genuine laugh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Anyway, I think you were saying something like, hey, Matt, how's it going? And uh, I think this is the part where I say like, hey, Dave, it's week one. Yeah, I can't believe it's here. But, 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 but. Before we could actually shift over to week one, mid my process for getting everything ready for week one, what happens? A couple of big, big news items that then had to uh, adjust some 
some projections, get some rankings updated. Uh, where do you want to start here? I'm thinking let's go first with the LeSean McCoy signing. He is now in Kansas City. Where are you on him? Um, so the McCoy situation is, uh, I don't know. I, I think it muddies the backfield with Williams. I think Williams is still the lead back. Um, but, uh, there are two things. One, I think at a minimum McCoy gets enough usage to severely hinder, uh, Williams ability to put up fantasy points. Uh, and then two, I could be wrong about McCoy and maybe there's the possibility that he's not the uh, the second stringer or the you know change of pace guy, but maybe he actually becomes the lead back. Um, but I think either way, it really screws up the backfield situation. So right now in PPR, um, I have Williams dropped down all the way to uh, 30, running back 30, and I have okay. McCoy at running back 36. And Ooh, like I think I think if one of these guys is actually able to seize the job entirely, he could be a running back one. It's just I don't think that's going to happen. I think they hinder each other. So your split on their work do you get McCoy well over like a hundred rushing attempts? Cause it, it seems to be like a lot of people in their projection of McCoy only have him somewhere around that hundred mark. I think I only had him for like 107, but for him to be RB 36, I would have to imagine that you have maybe closer to like 170. No, I, but I have him getting uh, a pretty good chunk of receiving usage. So okay. I have him at a uh, hundred and eight, 109 rushes um but around like 50 targets hmm that's very interesting um, like, i think he's still a very good receiving back you didn't see that last year just because josh allen isn't the type of quarterback to dump it off to the running back but i think what mccoy he he might still be good as a runner but i think he definitely is still good as a pass catcher um so i think that is where they will look to maximize him okay that is uh I think of a fair position to take. I, I'm just not quite as sold on McCoy still having the level of talent. Of course, though, I think that you did make a good point there about the receiving production. Yeah, I mean, I might be wrong. And the thing is, I'm not really, I don't feel all that optimistic about McCoy. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like I have to project him for, you know, I don't know, like 30% of the rushing carries, something yep. like that. I feel like if they were super optimistic on Darwin Thompson, they wouldn't have brought in McCoy. And mm -hmm. that doesn't mean I don't think Thompson's going to get work, but I don't know. Like I'm projecting him for maybe like two to three touches per game, but like not, not anything major. Yeah. So as, as I'm looking now at what I had quickly plugged in for McCoy in my projections, I'm, I'm much lower. I only have him around 24 targets. Um, and as a result of that, you're also probably going to be, I'm probably down like one, maybe two touchdowns lower than you as a receiver. So I can, I can see why we have that gap there. Yeah. And I'm, I might be too optimistic on his usage as a receiver, but I feel like that's the main thing that he offers at this point. Or like the one thing that uh, I feel pretty confident he offers. So yeah, yeah, that's where I am. So does any of your expectation for him have to do with the fact that there's that relationship with Andy Reid? Maybe a little bit. Um, 
but not really. I mean, it's not like I'm I'm going back and using the um like the averages or rates from when he opened his career, like his first four seasons with Andy Reid. Yeah. Like I think it is useful to know that uh McCoy did get a lot of receiving work uh with Andy Reid, but it's not as if like I'm projecting him for that type of usage. Sure. I think that makes sense. And as we talk through this, I think the odds are high that I have included him far too low in my rankings and I have him projected lower than I should. I don't know if I'd go quite as optimistic as you, but I think those are some fair points that you raised. So let's talk quickly about Buffalo because McCoy leaving uh, really changes things. For sure. Um, But I don't know if it really means anyone should still be interested in the guys who are left. <laughs> you know, like, so you have Frank Gore there, uh, yep. and then you have Singletary. I have Gore as the uh, running back 42 in PPR, mm-hmm. and Singletary as running back 53. I still think Gore is the lead back, um, and I, I might be wrong. I know there's a lot of enthusiasm around Singletary, um, and maybe he becomes the lead guy throughout the year. But Gore has just, you know, like made what seems like a second half of a career at this point by holding off younger guys. And I don't see why he wouldn't continue to do that. Like he was he was good enough uh, to convince them to, uh, you know, drop McCoy Um, and Singletary. I know that he, you know, in terms of certain metrics like or like pff tracking how many missed tackles he forced and things like that he supposedly has good agility um but he didn't really show that at the combine and he played against inferior competition i i don't know i'm inclined to think that he's not going to be all that good of a player but i could be wrong yeah i mean he was probably the player that i was most down on that i i wrote the most about in a negative light before the draft this year And as we talked about, there's a couple of major red flags for him. The first being the extremely low speed score, which for a player of his stature is a big problem. Because if you're going to be that small, and I I mean, he is, he's not the smallest player you're ever going to see, but he is substantially small. So if you're not quick, that's a problem. And I also think the other thing for me that I had trouble reconciling was the apparent lack of agility in terms of measurements, not being able to match up with what was always considered to be one of his best attributes. So when there's not evidence for me to support what's being reported as a player's best attribute, that's a red flag. Uh, is TJ Yeldon still on Buffalo? Yeah, he is. And so I, why, I still think... I, I don't get why, though. There's, there's no mention of maybe this is a pickup for him. Yeah, I mean, I obviously gave him uh, a, a bump um, specifically in the receiving category. Yep. Um, but, I mean, he should probably get some more carries too. But um, he's coming off of injury, and so there's still, I think, some uh, pessimism around his ability to play, uh, at least at the beginning of the season. So um, I think with him, it's a little more wait and see. But it's not outside of the realm of possibility that he – actually becomes the lead back or at least takes over uh, the usage we would project for Devin Singletary. But I don't see either one of them really chipping all that much into Frank Gore's uh, his projected usage. Yeah, so I think we're both in agreement then that absent of TJ Yeldon getting traded and move somewhere, these are probably three guys that you're not going to want to rely too heavily on this yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the so we've covered Buffalo. We talked about Kansas City. We have to now make our way over to Houston. 
where Carlos Hyde will be sharing the backfield now with Duke Johnson, in addition to Kenny Stills arriving via way of Miami. Let's focus on that running back situation first and get your thoughts. Yeah, and and uh, Laramie Tunsil now at left tackle, which right. uh, improves the offensive line. So um, I, at first, didn't change any of the team-level projections, um, but after talking uh, with some of the action guys, specifically Chris Raybon, uh, I've increased how many plays I think they're going to run. I think they will be a better offense with Tunsil there. Um, I think Hyde is an upgrade on the rookie running backs. Let me rephrase that. He's at least a known veteran, whereas the rookie running backs who were behind him, we really had no idea about them. So I don't think he's worse than they are, and he's probably a little bit better. And then Stills is a massive upgrade on what they had at the number four wide receiver, and he uh, can be a very strong injury replacement for Fuller or Kiki Cutie if one of those guys suffers an injury. So uh, I am increasing the total number of plays. They are running. I'm also shifting a little bit more um, the distribution of uh, pass plays. So I, I think they will do more pass plays than I had previously projected. So um, Deshaun Watson, I already had him projected as my number one quarterback, um, but it's just a little bit better for him now. Um, and the, the weird thing is I do knock DeAndre Hopkins down a little bit and maybe I'm wrong to do that, but, um, I think the addition of Kenny Stills, like Stills is a real wide receiver. Like maybe they run more four wide receiver sets and Kenny Stills work basically comes at the expense of the tight ends. Um, but I think Stills takes a little bit away from Hopkins, Fuller and Kiki. I just, I mean, I might be wrong, but so it actually hurts Hopkins a little bit and it hurts Fuller a little bit. It hurts um, Kiki maybe the most out of all of them, but um, it really boosts the entire offense. Um, I I think this, I don't know. I mean, the Chiefs are fantastic, but it it wouldn't be surprising if Houston uh, was the second best offense in the league, maybe even rivaled the Chiefs. Which is something that we had discussed before was how strong of a season we thought Deshaun Watson could have. Now you bring in these other pieces in these couple of moves here, and this is looking like there's even more of a possibility for this offense to be one of the best in the league. The upgrade on the offensive line, I agree, will make a difference having... Um, two options now in the running game, I do think shures things up a little bit because while I like Duke Johnson, now they aren't forced to rely on getting help from an unproven rookie. And I've always been a big fan of Kenny Stills. Uh, So like you, I actually had to lower down Fuller and Hopkins a little bit. Again, we have Kiki taking a bit of a hit, which when the team signed Johnson was another instance where we had to bring him down. So I think if you were to look at this team a couple of months ago versus now, you'd see Kiki going down pretty significantly in my projections. I do want to get your take, though, on Carlos Hyde and how good of a fantasy option he becomes and how much he has brought down Duke Johnson's value. Hmm. Uh, I haven't really had him bringing down Duke Johnson's value at all. It's just Mm -hmm. all of the uh, opportunities that we were kind of projecting for the rookie running backs who were behind Johnson, those are now going to Carlos Hyde. And so uh, I still have Duke Johnson projected. uh, I have him as running back 17 
Okay. I think that's pretty much where I had him before. Um, Carlos Hyde is not uh, as highly projected as he was um, like a couple of months ago when he thought that he would be, you know, like a decent number two option uh, in Kansas City. Um, but I still have him getting, you know, like over 100 carries. Uh, so I have him at running back 54 right now. Okay. Yeah, I think that it was hard for me to really see a lot of scenarios in which Hyde really popped. You know, I had I have him in 51, or at running back 51 in my projections. To kind of take this a different direction, out of the backs impacted by these moves, so let's consider Hyde, McCoy. We're going to leave Johnson out of this. We'll go Hyde, McCoy, Frank Gorn, Devin Singletary. Of those four players, who are you most interested in owning? It sounds like your answer is by and large McCoy. Yeah, easily McCoy. Because he does have like he has a chance to winning the lead job. Like that's that's really that's an option. I don't think I, I'm far from sold that he could actually be good in that role, but he has a, a chance to win it. Um I, I think Gore and Singletary are just gonna cannibalize each other and hide um, I think has less of a chance of becoming the lead back. Like he could potentially become the uh, the goal line back on a really high scoring offense, which could have a lot of value. But uh, I'm I'm still not going there right now. I won't be surprised at all if at the end of this season, if you just look at points per game, Hyde is in the top of the list. But that doesn't mean that he's the player I'd be most interested in. Like you, I think it's McCoy for the upside that you mentioned. And also, um, just how good of an offense Kansas City can have. Of course, we talked about how good of an offense Houston can have, but with the way that things shake out there, there might be more of a need or there might be more creative ways that they can get him involved than what the Texans would be able to do with Hyde. Yeah, I mean, out of the guys we've mentioned, I think the one with the uh, the best like median uh, projection is clearly Darren Sproles. <laughs> Darren Sproles. Yes, that's right. So maybe we will. That's our way, I guess, of transitioning to the the main event. Um, I don't know, though. Do we want to uh, take a take a quick break before we get into that main event? Yes. So this is the point uh, in the show where I am supposed to tell you a humorous anecdote about a time when I hurt my balls manscaping. That's (laughs) that's what this ad read calls for. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest though. Um, although I want to take the money from Manscaped as a premium sponsor, um, I don't have a story in which I've actually uh, done harm to my balls manscaping because I am uh, extremely careful when it comes to that part of my body. Uh, so Dave, I'm going to kick this to you. Do you have a story in which you have injured yourself while manscaping? I do don't believe that I do, Matt. Um, I could try to engineer a story here, no, uh, don't, but I don't. I don't, I, worry I, about I don't it. have one. I, I don't. I don't want you to lie. I guess I should say that um, I have never injured myself in that way because I am like an artist. You know, <laughs> like I'm just. I'm, I'm very. Yes. I, I'm. I'm very skilled. Um, but uh, with this new instrument that I received, the lawnmower 2.0 with its proprietary skin-safe technology, uh, it was even easier for me to avoid ball injuries. Um, I've been told that this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts, 
which uh, I think is pretty much the greatest endorsement that uh, you could say about anything that has to do with manscaping. Um, so apparently manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Uh, the one thing I think is really smart, uh, about having this manscaping instrument, uh, is that you don't have to use, uh, the same trimmer that you use on your face, which let's be honest, that is disgusting. Dave, yep. do you use the same trimmer? Uh, no, I would say that, that, that I would not, but Having now heard about this product, I can guarantee you that that will never even be a possibility again. Yeah, that, that's not an option. You, you got to keep you got to keep your instruments separated. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that was uh, pretty awesome in the the uh, the package, pun intended, uh, that was sent to me uh, in this this manscaping. Um, like this manscaping bag, which the bag itself is actually pretty awesome. Do they refer to the bag as a sack? Tell me they uh, do. No, they, they should. That was good. Oh, thank um, you. They, they have something called the Crop Preserver, which is uh, <laughs> an, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, which, um, you know, that's I an never un- really th- underrated product. Yeah, I never really thought about that. But, uh, you know, you just think about it for a second and it makes sense. You know what I mean? Like you put deodorant in your armpits. Like what what, you know, like it's basically just one gigantic pit down there except it's your balls instead of an arm. So uh, I think it makes sense to use the anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. So uh, this is the money part of, of the ad read. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ROTOVIZ at manscaped.com. You want the right tools for the job. Your balls will thank you. Again, 20% off and free shipping with the code ROTOVIZ at MANSCAPED. That is 20% off with the free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code ROTOVIZ. Uh, speaking of balls out, let's talk about our FFPC team. Wow. Two thoughts there. I've never heard you enjoy saying the word ball as much as you did that. And also, that was a professional level transition right there. Thank you. So, yeah, let's talk about our main event team. So, Matt and I... Actually, you know what? One thing I just want to yep. say quickly... Yep. Uh, Manscaped, I think they are really uh, missing uh, the opportunity to go into the female market. There should be womanscaped.com. You know what I mean? It's not like this has to be exclusive to men. You know, I mean, anyone who has hair that they want to remove from their body should be interested right. in this premium product. Just, just saying. Or if you're a woman and you don't need this, you have your instrument, but you're dating a guy who definitely needs some help down there. And let's be honest, like guys might not think about this, but you know, you might be like, Hey, um, bro, you need to take care of whatever is going on down there. You know, just, just get this guy, just get this guy some manscaped in his life. That, that's all I'm saying. Rotaviz.com. Rotaviz. Rotaviz. Use the code Rotaviz. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, no, we, we don't have any of such products available at rotoviz.com, at least not we yet. We should. We should. <laughs> yeah. we could be, it could be branded rotoviz. Oh, okay. my gosh. Yeah. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time. But the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. 
We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Anyways, now, I don't have a good transition, but last Thursday night, Matt and I drafted in the FFPC main event. Our team was named Frank Costanza's Lawyer. And great name, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I know that people don't like to hear about other people's teams, but I am going to read off the players that we drafted so you can get a sense of how the things that we've talked with this season aligned with what we actually did in a real draft with pretty significant implications. So I had lied on last episode. Matt and I actually had picked 12. So prior to our pick, you had Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, Travis Kelsey, DeAndre Hopkins, David Johnson, James Conner, Ezekiel Elliott, George Kittle, Zach Ertz, and Devontae Adams, which I think left us with only really one option here. And of course, that was Juju Smith-Schuster at the 12th pick. We then did have a conversation about going for... um, or I guess prior to the draft, we had talked about going with a tight end, but as I mentioned, Kittle and Ertz were gone. So I think for us, it was pretty clear at this point that it would be the wide receiver pick. We decided that we would double down on the position and we went with Julio Jones. However, we did end up going with OJ Howard with our third pick in the draft, which would have been pick 36 as the third tight end off of the board. In retrospect, Matt, how do you feel about that decision? I'm fine with that. Uh, I like having Howard there. And uh, as you see, uh, we need it because of our tight end position. So uh, I don't mind paying up there. And I I think Howard has um, maybe not the median projection of those other three guys, but I think his upside is pretty close to theirs. Yeah, you know, we did talk a little bit about the possibility of going for Evan Ingram, who I'm still kind of undecided on who I feel better about. But when you look at the whole profile for them, I think I feel better about Howard's kind of median or floor projection versus Engram's. And like you said, in a stellar season, I think we could see Howard approach the stratosphere of particularly Ertz. Uh, and, you know, if Kittle does kind of regress off of last season, I think we could expect similar production in a really good scenario for us. Our next pick was Amari Cooper, who we followed up with Tevin Coleman and I think we should probably note that had we been picking out of a different spot this pick may have not been Tevin Coleman but being in the 12 a lot of picks were going to pass before we had another chance you want to talk about some of the things that you like about Coleman there's been some shakeups with uh, McKinnon hitting IR we've talked about how we like Matt Breida but we haven't focused too much on Coleman yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be the lead back. They've talked about him as the the larger guy in that committee who can get the goal line touches. Um, he's a good pass catching back, and um, we drafted before it became you know a hundred percent clear that McKinnon wasn't going to play any this season. Um, so I think we got some value there, but we were already pretty much leaning in that way. Um, I would have preferred um, Miles Sanders. Uh, and we came a pick within getting him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and Austin totally... Eckler, too, who we were trying to get, and he went after Sanders. Yeah. Or no, Sanders, um, he went before he went Sanders, before right? Sanders. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, there were four running backs picked right before us. Uh, so, you know, maybe we had a little bit of run bad right there, but uh, still totally fine with Tevin Coleman. Yep. After Coleman, we went DJ Moore, who was then followed up by Will Fuller and Matt's boy, Kenyon Drake. Will Fuller, we talked about a little bit earlier as it relates to the Texans. Uh, DJ Moore, we've talked about a lot. Kenyon Drake, you want to make your final sales pitch for him before the season starts? Because I know uh, you and I went back on this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably too optimistic on him. I I will admit that. Um, but I still think he's going to be the guy who gets a lot of usage. Um, I think more than Kalen Balage. I really don't have that high of an opinion of Balage. Uh, Drake is a good pass catching back. So I don't know. I mean, Dave, how many touches do you think Drake is going to have? Um, let's say, assuming he plays, you know, like 15 games. Well, see, this is the thing where. It is a pretty significant amount of touches because I have him in a 15-game season, probably around 180 attempts, maybe 45 targets. So what's that, like 225 touches? Yeah, and I'm even and more I have it. I have optimistic. it a little bit higher, but for a 15-game season, that's probably where, where we'd be. Yeah, I'm even a little more optimistic because I think he's a good pass-catching back. I think he will, and this team, they don't have a really good tight end. They're not very established at wide receiver. I think Drake could get a pretty significant chunk of, of the receiving workload. So that's that's the big thing that's driving his projection right now. Yeah, so actually, let, let's hit upon that for a little bit longer. With Kenny Stills not there with Drake's receiving ability, and they don't really have a, many receivers of consequence now, that actually might be a distinct possibility that, that they have to turn to their running backs a little bit more. Did that? Does that, obviously at the time... We didn't have this benefit, but I have to imagine that only strengthens your argument for Drake. Yeah, I think so. Um, But I mean, it doesn't I don't think it really impacts all that much. Like, I think Drake was already like in this thesis, he was already likely to see a lot of targets. Um, And what would have gone to stills, I think, will just get distributed to the other guys. It's just that the the overall quality of the uh, wide receiver unit is so low that targets have to go somewhere else. So the amazing thing is that, once again, we're sitting on this Devontae Parker potential. Um, I don't think it's going to manifest, but I, I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a season where Devontae Parker finally hits. Is that possible? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Is this year five? I mean, you know, just in time for the vaunted fifth-year breakout. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, after Drake, we took Alexander Madison and Dion Lewis, so we were kind of going after some running backs there. Madison, this pick for us really came down to swinging for a guy with significant upside that we also think is a pretty good back and could play his way into a role. Dion Lewis, somewhat of an opposite situation there. Um, with Derrick Henry, it doesn't look like there's tremendous upside but we do both think that he will be relevant week to week yeah I think that's fair I think Madison has the high ceiling he could be the touchdown scorer in the offense anyway and then if Cook gets injured which uh is conceivable uh Madison I think could explode and then Deion Lewis uh I think a high floor guy absolutely and then after Dion Lewis, we went and we got one of our guys, even though I hate that term, and we drafted Kyler Murray. How excited are you about that? I mean, I'm theoretically excited. 
Um, but we took him, I believe, uh, as the did did we take him at um, the end? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm fine with what we did. Um, we took him at eleven, twelve. So there were like seven, eight other quarterbacks that had been taken before him. So I'm fine with where we got him. Um, I would have theoretically been fine waiting longer. Uh, and I definitely expressed that opinion, but you were fine with us going up and getting him. So uh, I, I think he's a potential league winner uh, if it, you know, if everything breaks right. And if it doesn't, uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's just money. I think that in most leagues, I would not have signed off on this, but there's a large part of me that is saying, all right, we're playing in this huge tournament. I want to have some guys that I feel like could be those big difference makers. And though it's still fairly early in the draft, if things work out with Murray the way that we think that they could, this could be the type of pick that catapults us to the top of the leaderboard. Of course, there's a lot of hypotheticals in there, but that's why I was okay with it. We were also at a breaking point in the draft where I felt like the guys behind Murray couldn't have the impact that yes. he would. Yeah, and can I just say, we waited till the 11th round. Like I, I feel like my uh, late-round quarterback obligations were more than met by waiting to the 11th round. And uh, Russell Wilson and Drew Brees were the picks right ahead of Kyler Murray. I think we were lucky to get Kyler Murray because there is no way I would rather have Wilson and Breeze over Murray. Completely agree. Um, so I do think we got pretty lucky there. And then later on, we got a pretty good backup for him, which in the way that things were falling out in this league and from my experience in some similar leagues in the past, I did feel like we needed to get that second quarterback. So after Murray, we got Naheem Hines and then Traquan Smith. Then that was followed up by Kenny Stills. And then in round 15, we got Mitchell Trubisky, which we felt like was a really good value at the time. Yeah, we got him as the third to last quarterback off of the board. Um, and Trubisky has some, uh, you know, he had some peak weeks, some eruption weeks last year. Um, maybe, you know, like I think he's basically Blake Bortles, but maybe I'm wrong. And even if he is just Blake Bortles, getting him as the 20th quarterback off the board is still really good. Yeah. I don't think that he should be the 20th quarterback off of the board. Uh, so it's nice to have him behind Murray is I, I do think that Trubisky will be usable if it turns out that Murray is a no-go. Nelson Aguilar, we got in the 16th round, but we should probably mention that at this point, you and I had already been talking about a one Darren Sproles for a good, like, 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was 15 minutes. I should just say, uh, I feel like that conversation exemplifies, like, um, heat of the moment. Right. Um, But, uh, yeah, so my thesis for even talking about Darren Sproles was that we were late in the draft and Sproles, I think um, if things break right for him, and I don't think it actually takes all that much for things to break right for him. He could be like a 700 yard type of guy within the Eagles offense because he's done that before. Like that, that's basically what he's been for the past four years with the Eagles on like a 14 to 16 game basis per season so it was like if things don't work out with Miles Sanders uh Sproles would probably have a pretty significant role once again as the pass catching back um but it's not as if he's going to have any more upside after that but 
you know, like 700 at the end of the season, like 650 to 750 yards in like five to six touchdowns. Like that, that type of season actually wouldn't surprise me, but that's probably still not the type of thing you should chase. For sure. That said, two rounds later, we ended up with Alfred Blue, who is now dead. (laughs) So, (laughs) okay, but. I, I think that we need to talk about the rationale of why we didn't go for Sproles and why we did go for a player like Blue. At yep. that point, we wanted a guy who had the possibility of becoming a key piece, and we didn't really care so much about that kind of you know moderate production that you could get out of Sproles. We didn't care about yep. having something there that you could add into the team. We wanted somebody who potentially could find themselves in this great situation, which at the time was still a possibility for Blue, not expected, but it was there. Uh, unfortunately, that has since become a wasted pick. Yeah, that's that's fair, though. I, I mean, it's it's right to chase someone who could potentially become a starter. Right. And um, to close, I think that we have probably talked about Darren Sproles now <laughs> enough uh, for a long time, for a number of episodes, and um, I guess for you and I, I think that we've pretty much closed the book on Darren Sproles, I hope. But we can track that throughout the season. The two things that I'm going to be paying attention to in the back of my mind, even though I don't want to now, is what Darren Sproles does, and then, of course, the Juju Smith-Schuster versus DeAndre Hopkins, um, relating back to our conversation with Fantasy Mansion. Yeah. Uh, Still feeling good about the Juju situation. You know, I am too. Um So, the other thing I wanted to talk about tonight was players that, uh, if there are any players that we see as value still at their ADP, ADP, um, I just need to pull that up quickly here, Matt, because my computer died because it's not plugged in. No problem. And this seems like uh, an excellent time to remind you that since we just talked about our FFPC team, we could maybe do the FFPC ad read. That's right. I should probably do that too. Um, so let's, let's see if I can get this computer back up quickly. You know, Dave, it's almost as if we were doing this episode without an outline. <laughs> it, it, it is. Um, you know, Matt, some September notoriously for me ends up being a month where a million things that I'm not expecting, uh, rise up out of the blue. And, um, it is feeling like that is going to be the case for me this September, which is not good. Hi, Rotovis fans. Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Those of you ready for your greatest challenge, take a look at this year's FFPC main event, which is the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football. And this year, it's coming at you with a half a million dollar grand prize and over 3.1 million in total prizes. Drafts are going off every day and will continue through the start of the season or until the main event is sold out. The FFPC will also have hundreds of online drafts going off through next Saturday, September 7th. So if you're looking for that last minute draft, check out their draft lobby now. That's myffpc.com, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner 
men can count on. Contact Cordell, Cordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. There's ghosts haunting these woods, and they're headed straight for Roaring Camp Railroads. Is it a trick? No. It's Thomas and Percy's Halloween party. And with a bounce house, pumpkin patch, temporary tattoos and face painting, plus photos with Sir Topham hats, it's certainly going to be a treat. So get down to Roaring Camp before all the fun disappears. Weekends October 12th through the 27th. So I wanted to check in on a couple of players, Matt, with their current ADP and see if you think where they are sitting right before the start of the season makes sense or if we're going to be able to look back and say that was way too low. Uh, The first player that I'm curious about your take is Philip Lindsay, who actually comes in at 25 right now in FFPC ADP. That feels pretty low considering what we saw from him last year however i can see how we we end up there wait is this like running back 25 or literally the 25th pick literally running back 25 okay running back 25 um i have him a little bit higher um i was a lot higher but i've since uh you know just continued to adjust the split a little more towards Royce Freeman. I still have Lindsay as the lead back, um, but it's, it's much, uh, it's much closer than it was, but uh, I still think Lindsay could be super efficient with the touches he does get um, because he was efficient in college. He was efficient last year. I kind of don't know why he wouldn't be this year. Yeah. That's going to be an an interesting one to follow. I think that we may have mentioned this on air. We might have been talking about it where you have this situation where Royce Freeman could be a league winner, almost like Lindsay was last year, but you still have to assume when you're doing your projections, or at least if you're doing them in a way that I think makes sense, you you have the split falling out in a way that allows Lindsay to score significantly more fantasy points. So in looking at ADP just from the last week, we see Josh Jacobs at 18. He, if I'm not mistaken, is a play that you started to warm up to a little bit. Yeah. um, I wasn't all that hot on him entering the draft process just because I thought there were kind of conflicting signals. But I mean, once he's drafted in the first round, uh, you look at some of the attributes he has and then the knowledge that he doesn't have really any competition in Oakland. Um, yeah, I have him as my running back 12 in PPR. I think that there is a strong argument that can be made supporting him going there. Um, the obvious question mark is the Oakland offense at large, not so much Jacobs, who I think though I'm not sold on him entirely as a prospect in relation to the rest of the class, I do think that he's a good enough back that if he is in an offense that can just give him volume and is able to support a player based upon volume, then he's a perfectly fine pick. Duke Johnson, looking at ADP as recently as the 26th, is still going as running back 27. I think that is way too low. Yeah, I think that's too low. And, um, yeah, I mean, I have him running back 17, maybe. I don't know. I mean, do you think there's something a little skewed with the data? Because I, I feel like maybe he's going higher than that, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, I think that that's probably... 
I mean, if you think I the think data is accurate, right, then, I think yeah. the data is right, which is which is kind of crazy there. Um, unless there just hasn't been enough of a correction in that time frame, um, I wonder if we were to shrink it down, what we would see. Um, but nonetheless, uh, in the drafts that I've done, I felt like he's going pretty late too. So in comparison to where I would start to think about mm-hmm. taking him. Uh, let's look at wide receivers. Julian Edelman, a positional ADP of 15. I see how people arrive there, but I don't know if I like it. <laughs> um, where do you think it should be lower? I think it should be I think it should be lower, yeah, especially with the return of Josh Gordon. Yeah. Uh, I still have him actually at in PPR wide receiver 16. So I'm pretty close to consensus. Um, but I mean, a lot of it is just that he's been productive, uh, without Gronk on the team. And I think he's still going to get a lot of targets, um, especially, and I don't think Inkel Harry was going to matter all that much, but, uh, any threat that the rookie might have posed is now non-existent because Harry's on IR, but, uh, I have Edelman projected for a lot of targets. Um, that's just kind of what he does. He gets targets, um, Gordon, I have projected for a healthy number of targets, but not as many. And like after those two, there's a pretty significant drop off. I think that's probably fair. And like you said, I mean, Edelman should see a very high amount of volume. I think the one thing, though, that I worry about is that in that ranking of 15 or that ADP of 15, we're kind of accounting for some of what Edelman did down the stretch last year, which I don't think is going to be representative of what we'll see from him over the course of an entire season. Uh, An interesting one to note on here is Curtis Samuel coming in at uh, wide receiver 36, one spot behind Christian Kirk, one spot ahead of Sammy Watkins and Corey Davis. Uh, DJ Moore's at 25. This is the last chance for you to kind of get out of some of the Carolina Panthers wide receiver love that we've given them this summer. So I'll, I'll phrase it like this. Whose ADP do you feel is more appropriate, Moore at 25 or Samuel at 36? Um, I'm, It's weird. I think Moore is – I don't know. I, actually, I guess I'm going to say Samuel. My, my numbers point towards Samuel as having the, the more accurate ADP. Um, I actually have him this I need to look at this this feels wrong I have him as wide receiver 47 uh, in PPR but like I don't think that's accurate like that's just I'm sorry I'm like looking at my numbers here like that <laughs> that feels that feels wrong although maybe that's right but um I like I feel as if I'm high on him like yeah. intellectually I want him but he's not coming out all that high. Um, in part because I guess I'm just not projecting him for as many targets as I maybe should. Like, how many targets do you have him getting this year? Oh, boy. I actually like, don't I'll, remember. I'll say, I, I have him projected for 90. Okay, I was going to say my my gut reaction was he probably ended up with somewhere around like 75 or 80 in my projection. Okay, so I have him projected for 90. Uh, I have him catching just under 60% of his passes. Maybe I need to increase his yards per reception, but I'm going off of what he's done to this point in his career, 
Like, even with giving him uh, some rushes each game, like, let's say he gets, like, maybe 15 carries for the season, which might be on the high side, but, like, that's, like, within the realm of possibility. But I guess, like, I'm getting to the point where it's, like, I have him for maybe 700 yards total, um, which, like, that feels low, but, like, that's just kind of what the numbers are giving me. Like, I think he has room for a lot more. But I'm just expecting DJ Moore to, you know, to kind of be the guy. Yeah, that makes that 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 seems very fair to me. Now, a player that you and I had talked about during our main event draft is Traquan Smith, and we've been surprised that he has not been able to generate more hype or more interest this season. He has an ADP of wide receiver 58. That might be appropriate, but I think he's a very enticing player at that ADP. Yeah. Um, let me try to find him on my list. Like, I think I'm, I'm fairly low on him from like a median perspective. Yeah. Like I have him at wide receiver 71, like in terms of his projection, but like at that point in the draft, what matters is his upside, not what his median projection is. And like his upside could be pretty significant. So, um, I don't mind if someone starts taking him at like wide receiver 45 wide receiver 50. Yep. Um, to switch over to tight end, Mike Gesicki tight end 20 um, is around where he's been going based off of ADP. He was one of those guys that we considered grabbing uh, because we were really in dire straits at tight end. After we drafted O.J. Howard, we waited a little bit longer than perhaps we should have. Going back to the departure of Stills, does this create a chance where maybe now Gasicki's ADP should rise because there is more of that pie to go his way? Maybe, but um, I I didn't change any of his projections. Like I basically just took what I was thinking would go to Stills and giving that to other wide receivers. Um I don't mind him at uh, an ADP of 20 at the position. I have him at 23 in terms of his median projection, but because of the theoretical upside he has, I I mean, I could see the reason for drafting him higher. You know, I guess it just depends on what you're chasing. Like, do you want someone like Delaney Walker or like Jimmy Graham or something like that? Like you have an idea of what they can do for you, but there's no real upside there. Like with Gesicki, there's theoretical upside, but he's likely to have a lower floor. Final thing that I want to talk about tonight is the hills that you are going to die on this season before we head into it. The things that you have the most conviction about that seem to be disagreed with other places. Okay. This is uh, kind of adjacent to that but also touches on the segment we just did and actually kind of like news items uh, from what's happened recently. Um, Jordan Reed, I think, is someone who is still going too low in drafts. And I know he has the concussion issues. It's almost a lock that he will not play uh, at least four games this season. Um, But with Josh Doxson gone and with the like wide receiver unit, um, in in Washington pretty much decimated um there's I think a a pretty strong case to be made that uh Jordan Reed is still the number one receiving option in Washington 
um, like as long as he's healthy. Who knows how many games he will actually play, but I still think he has value. I love it. That's actually fairly um, a unique take in one way, but I think it also has a very realistic possibility of happening. Um, you know what? I have. Uh, I would say this about my, my podcast performance tonight. It has not been my strongest. I have a pretty terrible migraine going on. I'm likely going to be up until about 3 in the morning <laughs> doing a mixture of things. So I think that we'll close down. Uh, any closing thoughts for us before the season starts? Uh, I have been the Ezekiel Elliott on this podcast tonight. I have just really carried us. Uh, <laughs> and then I've gone to Cabo. Uh, no, but uh, yeah. Um, if everyone, uh, I'm imagining most people listening to this are done with their drafts. Um, but you know, some people have a few more to go. Uh, I would be interested. I know that there are some, uh, some high stakes players, uh, who listen, but also some people who are super, uh, devoted to fantasy, even though they don't play at high stakes. Uh, I would be interested in, uh, us somehow. And by us, I think I mean you. Um, at some point, <laughs> collecting information if people want to send it to us on the strategies, uh, like now that you've done all of your drafts, the strategies that you think were most dominant entering the season, um, you know, just to kind of get a sense. And, and I mean, there's like a bias sample in this because we don't really know what worked until the end of the season. And even then, it's just like one season worth of data. But I would kind of like to hear what uh, Rotoviz listeners uh, have been doing and like now that the draft season is pretty much over what they feel worked the best for them it's an interesting idea i like it and then um yeah send those in we'll compile them and that will probably make a good way for us to reflect upon the season once it's all said and done but definitely good luck everybody in week one or if you have any remaining drafts we hope that it goes well that will do it for tonight's episode Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. The reviews really help if you've been with us all summer. Uh, make sure that you subscribed. Leave us a good review. Tweet. Do all that stuff. You can follow me at DaveCabinFF. You can follow Matt at MattFTheOracle. We will be back in our next episode recapping and looking forward to actual football games, which is a great thing. So we will uh, see you next time. And remember... It's not a fantasy if you believe it. Manscapes.com, Rotoviz. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody! No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. There's ghosts haunting these woods, and they're headed straight for Roaring Camp Railroads. Is it a trick? No. It's Thomas and Percy's Halloween party. 
And with a bounce house, pumpkin patch, temporary tattoos and face painting, plus photos with Sir Topham hats, it's certainly going to be a treat. So get down to Roar and Cat before all the fun disappears. Weekends October 12th through the 27th.